This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Diagnosis and Prescription to Combat Global Terrorism, an insight in Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Christianity, and Buddhism. And the author is Jeremiah Z. Wapo, and Jeremiah joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Jeremiah. How are you doing? Now, you ask the questions, have you ever wondered about the rise of global terrorism? Have you ever thought about finding a solution to terrorism? Are you worried about the next 9-11? Have you been concerned about the threat America and its allies are, allies are experiencing from Islamic extremists? And you ask a bunch more questions. Now, this obviously, you, because of the title of the book, you've got some ideas and you've got some strategies here to combat global terrorism. Before we get into all the details, why did you write the book? Well, thank you very much for having me on. Um, first of all, when I was coming up as a child, I uh, really detest violence. I really detest violence. In my communities, um, I, I helped my friends to uh, ease violence, ease confusion among them, and it became a pattern that I grew up in. And uh, I, being a person coming from a Christian home, I really didn't like violence until I came up and my first violence was experienced in my home country, Liberia, uh, when the uh, uh, one of our presidents, uh, the 18th president of Liberia, having to be willing, Arutabot, was killed, uh, assassinated by a group of army army folks, and uh, that that worries me. Why should people kill each other when uh, there are other ways to solve problems? You know, so it rose my curiosity. I started thinking, and uh, I I thought that. When I was coming out of Chelsea, well, I think I would become a policeman to bring peace in the community. But after having grown up and uh, I became a man, I, I thought that uh, being a policeman alone would not help me to bring the change I want to bring my community. And um, beyond that, um, the, we have a 15-year civil war in Liberia, and this war was so devastated that it claims over uh, 250,000 lives. And uh, people whom I knew, my, my teachers and professors at the university, some of them were killed. And it, it really pauses me why people engage in these things when there are differences. I believe that people can sit down and discuss it and, and find a common ground, but yet people take extreme ideology to get rid of each other. And it rose my curiosity. I started thinking, what is the underlying factor that, that causes these things? And to contribute towards my society instead of me taking guns, to um, to go at the battlefront, what I did is I established a human rights organization, and it was the first of its kind in Liberia. And uh, we pillared rights until we were recognized and lighted the first human rights candidate in Liberia. And from there on, that of sales of these uh, organizations, uh, 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 small organization, activist organization, are all around in Liberia. And uh, while we were going to school, violence erupted until... Um, and I was the first person that took the dictator Charles Taylor that was in Liberia. I the one who was the first person that took him to court because of extrajudicial killing and uh, you know, lawlessness. And from there, my life was threatened, and I sought refuge to the United States. And upon my arrival in, at the United States, 9-11 happened. So I was, it, was, it really intensified me. I said, well, I think there should be a way that I can contribute to the broader society about the violence going around the world. So when I was going to school, I studied political science, I studied sociology in my undergraduate, and um, when I was in uh, undergraduate school, I studied a lot about international politics, violence, and stuff like that. So I came up with a conclusion that I think upon my, my uh, graduation, I should come up with a solution to this problem. And before coming up with a solution, I should be able to study empirically to find out the underlying factor that causing the violence. It is again this backdrop uh, or able to bring this uh, document to the public so they can see, they can actually see what's going on instead of just 
us getting up to solve the problem, I, should, I believe that we should first of all understand what causes the problem. It's like uh, uh, somebody going to hospital to, for treatment. When you get to the hospital, the doctor just don't give you pills. The doctor, the doctor that has to uh, diagnose, analyze it, and be able to come up with a conclusion that, okay, this is the disease, this is the treatment. That way, we are able to cure the disease easily than just giving treatment without know, knowing the, uh, the underlying factors. And one of the underlining factors, we have five major religions, as you write in your book, and, and of course, these religions have different views and insights into beliefs and, and uh, democracy. And so when you look at Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Christianity, and Buddhism, your book discusses terrorism from the insights gained from these five major religions. Uh, what are some of the things that, that would be important for us to know, these insights from these five world religions? Okay, first of all, when I discuss uh, Judaism, Judaism is one of the promising uh, religions of all time. And um, they strongly believe in God. They have uh, their religious principle that the Torah is really based on is, is the motive. If I'm pronouncing it right, the motive, it, it orients the Jewish people how to behave in the society, how to respond to people and stuff like that. And if you went through the motive, the motive did not teach anything about violence. It teaches about God. It teaches about people's behavior in the community. It teaches about a, a, a normal society. Okay? It teaches about all these good tenets of a, of a society. And the, the amazing thing you'll find there is that they hold the belief that God does not have sex. God is 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 not is is not identified a particular way to say God is he or God is she. So God has this uh, unknown identity. Because of this, they give great great power to God that He above all things, and they go by His instruction. And if you went through the the Torah. You will not see one quotation in the Torah from God that will tell any of the Jewish people that I'm sending you to go. If anybody rebels against me, you can crush them. Any revenge that you will see in the Torah from God, God does it himself. That's one important thing you all look at. God has not instructed anybody on this earth to revenge for him. Because what the Jewish people believe that God is omnipotent. Onipotence means he has all power. God is onipresence. Onipresence means he can appear anywhere at any time to do whatever he wants to do. So we as human beings, we have no authority to fight for God. It is against that backdrop the Jewish people do not see themselves as a foot soldier for God. On the other hand, if when, when you go into Islam, you go into the religion, the religion if you read it, the Quran, Every every verse that you see in the Quran, one of them did not come directly from God. Not one. It came directly from God. There are good tenets in the um, in the Quran. If you went in the Quran, you will see that uh, it teaches about uh, 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 charity. That way, you will see the jihad. Jihad is actually the um, the, the 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 Quran has far religious principle. And the sixth that, that came lately was the jihad. And this jihad is based on one of the principles in the Quran that is called the zakat. The zakat teaches the, the, the Muslim to do charity, to do goodwill, to go against their will. You have, to, you have to understand this. To go against their will to certify God. That is in the jihad. It is part of the motive. It is against this, go against their will to certify God. The Muslims have taken it to use it to, 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 to deter people. If at all you do not accept the religion, they say, well, God said we should do this, we are doing this. But even with other those, this was not a commandment of God. It was a commandment of a prophet, one prophet that says, God said we should do this, God said we do this. Unless if you went to Judaism, most of the instructions that you see in the Torah, is directly from God. So, in in other words, 
people who wrote the Quran, one way or the other, misinterpret the perception of God. Now, if you went to um, if you went to uh, uh, Hinduism, Hinduism is one of the promising religions. If you look at the culture of Hinduism, Hinduism emerged as a re- religion of music. It has over 15,000 stanzas when, when, when it emerged. Those days, it has over 15,000 stanzas. And it's based on these 15,000 stanzas that uh, the so-called sages heard on the bank of a river in the, in the Hindu valley, the, this religion came to birth. When it came to birth, the people said that this religion we have, it is a religion of peace. And they give, it's, it's, a kind of, it's, a, it's, it's kind of democratic religion. Because of the different, different uh, senses, they create, it came up with different, different goddesses. So because of, on, 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 the, basis of, on the basis of these different, different goddesses, every cluster of the, of the society in the Hindu world can identify certain gods to worship. And each of these gods has their own responsibility what to do in the society. It is based on this, you will see democracy little bit, uh, maybe it might be fragile, but a little bit flourishing in the Hindu world. Then, if you go to Christianity, Christianity evolved from the, the Judaism. And Judaism taught directly from God. And what happened if you went to Torah, you went to Torah, you see Moses' law that say eye for an eye. And one, this is one of the important things that need to be noted. This eye for an eye. But when Jesus came, he did not, he did not say that the teaching of Moses was wrong. But he considered time. He said what Moses taught it was good, but it was for then. But for now, eye is not for an eye. Be your brother's keeper. He says, if, you have, if somebody slaps you, show the other ear that they slap you in. That was an idiomatic expression. It does not necessarily say that you, you should show your ear that somebody slaps you. What it means is that forgive. And Jesus' teaching was about forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. His meekness is the characteristic of the Christianity today. So if you see Christian behavior, even in a Christian world, there's a possibility that um, you will find violence. But the underlying factor is that they will return to those values that have been taught by Jesus Christ. The meekness, the forgiveness, the togetherness. You can even see the common example in the United States here. In the United States, back then we had John Crow law here when the, the black people were uh, treated mildly, when they were tried, when they were, they, 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 um, we had crook accounts and others, you know, um, extreme uh, ideological society here that were trying to get rid of the blacks. But because of the nation being built on the Christian principle, those laws were being revised. What it means is that they are responding to contemporary ideology. What it means is that they are responding to time. The, time, the, the society is evolving to respond to time. Those things that happened then, it's not necessary for now. So therefore, they are responding to time. And based on the Christian values, they are able to come together and reconsider their differences and live together as one people. Now, if you went to Buddhism, if you went to Buddhism, you will see that the Buddhist has a very noble culture. He has a very noble culture that they, that they follow. But what happened is that it is kind of ironic. They, 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 they got an eight-fold path that teaches them to, to behave. It teaches them not to do evil. It teaches them not to take life and all the good tenets of a, a, a democratic and cohesive society building. But what happens is that it also teaches them that before you understand the gospel, before you, you be enlightened, you have to be poor. You have to, you have to disengage in worldly activity. This word disengage, it makes the Buddhists to be Medi- a medical, medical meaning beggars. They beg around, show their cups around to beg, and at the same time worshiping God. Then the question will be, if everybody in the Buddhist world can be a beggar, who are they going to beg? If you are a beggar, I'm a beggar. Who are we going to beg? So therefore, the, the, the emerging society in the Buddhist world 
They use this ideology of uh, the, the principle of Buddhist orientation to terrorize the poor people. So they divided the Buddhist, the Buddhist uh, uh, society into two different sects. They got the Taravida uh, Buddhist and they got the Mahaman Buddhist. The Taravida Buddhist is, is practiced in um, different, different parts of uh, the uh, 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 um, Asia, Eastern Asian world. If you went to uh, China, if you went to um, Hong Kong, and you went to Japan, you'll see these different, different uh, uh, set of um, Buddhism. You went to um, uh, Sri Lanka, you went to, you'll see the different, different type of Buddhism. But in the same token, in the very society, they divided the, the, the type of Buddhism they practice. The urban people practice different set of Buddhism. The, the, the local people uh, practice different set of Buddhism. And this division among the Buddhism creates a situation where the poor remains poor and the, uh, the rich remains rich. And this is the, the, the irony about it. Because of the, the contemporary society, there's a globalization going on. People are exporting culture. They are importing culture. Culture has been imported from the United States. Culture has been imported from uh, uh, Europe. And you mean, I mean, uh, France, I mean, Germany, it's been going all across the nation. People who live in this society are able to see other people's way of life and they see their way of life. So there's a situation that has been created. This is what we call cultural dissonance. Cultural dissonance meaning that new culture has been introduced into that society and it's the new culture that has been introduced, that has been exported to that society is overseeing those cultures. So therefore, those people that see themselves poor are rebelling against the rich because they know they are getting to know their right. And based on this cultural dissonance, violence is erupting. This is, a, this is the reason why you see violence erupted in Sri Lanka. This is the reason why you see violence erupting in uh, uh, Burma and the rest of the uh, uh, Asian Eastern world. Jeremiah, we uh, see that you are trying to get us to think and trying to get government leaders and religious leaders uh, to think about how to have a violence-free democratic society. We really appreciate you joining us on Author Talk. Tell us how to get your book. Well, to get this book, you can uh, go to uh, www.authorhouse.com or you can go to amazon.com. You can go to Borders, Borders carrying this book, and uh, you will be able to get this book to these places. Well, we appreciate you being on Author Talk. Thank you, Jeremiah. You're most welcome. That was Jeremiah Z. Wapo. He is the author of his book, Diagnosis and Prescription to Combat Global Terrorism, an insight in Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Christianity, and Buddhism. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. They flourish on a secluded farm 3,500 feet above sea level in Hinotega, Nicaragua. These coffee beans grow in the shade of hardwood trees and banana plants, thriving in the rich organic soil. Shade-grown coffee grown at higher elevation has a better quality. There are two benefits, a slower growing cycle for the plants that allows time for the sugars in the bean to mature, and the natural composting from the nitrogen-producing canopy. And now you can order this international gourmet coffee online at NicaraguasBestCoffee.com. Order 12-ounce and 16-ounce bags or save with a discounted price by ordering in large quantities. Three different coffee beans available, Arabica, Marigold Gaipe, and Green Oro. Prepare to enjoy the richness and the soothing flavor of some of the best-tasting coffee in the world. Order online at NicaraguasBestCoffee.com and enjoy Central American flavor, aroma, and richness of Nicaragua's Best Coffee. It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing editorial services and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. 
Sending a heartfelt message is one of the best ways to touch someone, to touch the heart. But it's easy to forget birthdays, anniversaries, and other special occasions. Imagine how many lives you would touch if it was easy to send those heartfelt messages. Send Out Cards provides a way for you to send a personalized greeting card to a friend, loved one, or business associate in less than 60 seconds from the convenience of your computer. You can even add a gift or gift card. Send Out Cards is about helping people reach out to those around them. It's amazing what a simple message can do. Send Out Cards helps you act on your promptings to reach out and change lives. Show host Michelle Bateman has learned through personal experience what it means to be an eagle by always working to be your best self. Please join our conversation on Send Out Cards Radio with Michelle Bateman to learn what it means to be an eagle on toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. This special interview is sponsored by Trafford Publishing. The title of this book of poetry, A Time to Cry, a poetic memoir of madness, depression, and unrequited love. And the author-poet is Paul Kleshinsky, and Paul joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Paul. Hello, Steve. How are you? Well, your title, A Poetic Memoir of Madness, Depression, and Unrequited Love, I guess says it all, doesn't it? Well, it was a particular period in my life, and I tried to get it down. You've gone through some mental health problems, and, have, yeah. and in the process, though, you've been able to put them in a written form that helped you in doing it, I'm sure. Yes, helped to express what I was feeling, yeah. And also your desire is to help others, right? Correct. Now, this this kind of style of writing, this poetic, in a poetic style, of it's much different than kind of writing in long uh, prose of how you were feeling. Why did you choose to do it this way? Because I feel poetry done right with uh, good figurative language expresses uh, what you want the best, and you can express things that are difficult to express in prose. So you find it much easier to express it in this show. More communication, I would say. And it's and it's very pointed, isn't it? I mean, you have to choose the right word that that just reveals the true feeling that you were you were having. Absolutely, diction is very important, as is. figurative language too so you wanted to be honest about your situation and what you were feeling and you were going through this very troubling time in your life but things have also gotten better yes they have they've gotten a number but this is mostly in the 90s okay all right so so that was a a dark period but you've done you're doing much better and this whole experience uh, this whole project and probably at the time did you even know it was going to turn into a book I was just trying to write, and I did have an idea that if I did it well, I, I should publish it, yeah. Well, very good. Well, very good. Well, let's let's take some of them and have you read them. Uh, we've picked out a few here, and you read them, and then tell us about what you were feeling at the time, your, your, your uh, insights into life uh, at that moment in time, and, and how this... This uh, poem helped you. Let's start out with My Parents' Grief. Okay. And go ahead and read that and then, you know, make some comments about it. My Parents' Grief. I was too busy chasing demons to even notice them. The shining lights of the city reflected on the water like a candlelight vigil. Then the attacks by the rabid beasts, with the fights and crucifixion and confusion. It was only later in the hospital, bound and medicated, that I noticed my father's graying hair, my mother's wrinkling face, and the deep sorrow and concern in both their eyes, blanketing me like Mary at Jesus' death. So you obviously were seeing something in them as as they watched you go through what you were going through? Well, it was a very tough time for them, too. I was a practicing physician when it first started, and suddenly I was on the psych ward. It was very difficult for my family. And without them, I don't think I would have made it. So you say you were a practicing physician? Yeah. What were you? What was your specialty? I was GP. GP. What triggered all this? Uh, it's nothing. Uh, 
We don't really know. I, I assume it's some kind of neurochemical disease of the brain that got me, and the pills seem to help quite a bit in the end, and uh, now I seem to have been maybe growing out of it. Obviously, being a doctor, you certainly were able to think clearly and rationally to go through all the education and, and yeah. practicing, and then just uh, something happened. Something, yeah, something happened. happened within a couple of months, and um, everyone around me said it's time to get help, Paul. Well, I'm glad you were wise enough to get help. Yeah. That's probably that. a big thing with people, that, they're, that they must get help, right? I want, my major advice would be listen to the people around you. If they're all saying the same thing, you should probably listen. That's a good point. If they're all saying the same thing, yes. It's probably something you should listen to. Okay, let's take another one. Nowhere to run. Okay, nowhere to run. I go through the motions, getting up, going to work, doing my best, trying to think good thoughts, but still the sorrow endures. My heart feeling heavy, my body burning, as if my blood were molten lava. What good is life without fun, trapped with nowhere to run? I take the medicine, which takes away the violent dismemberment, and lets me make a stab at sanity, but still the sorrow endures, the clouded pessimistic thinking, despair, and self-reproach. What good is a life without fun, trapped with nowhere to run? I tell myself it will pass and pray for a steady hand to direct my fate safely, but still the sorrow endures, feeling like it will never end, mocking my best hopeful thoughts, robbing me of my future. What good is life without fun, trapped with nowhere to run? And that's it. Well, there's certainly an emphasis on not having any fun. It was just, life was just an ordeal all the time? Well, that was when I had a number of years of very bad depression and, and I, when you're depressed it's hard to find anything that's fun so yeah. when you're that and, far down you just you know even if your people around you are having fun it's difficult or impossible difficult. To, to have fun very difficult yeah and so and fun is so so important obviously to a healthy life we have to have some fun once in a while Absolutely. we have to relax one of the things you notice when you get out of the depression is that your life's not as bad as you thought. You get contentment back and you start having fun with things again. Hmm, isn't that interesting? But in the moment, you couldn't see that. You couldn't understand that. Well, I just knew, I just didn't feel very good and nothing. Maybe playing guitar would make me feel a bit better, but not even that too much. Now, how old were you when this happened? 29. 29? Yeah. Very young. Yeah typical and when you wrote this poem how far into the depression were you a couple of years oh my goodness a couple of years so you had been through it i also went through a period before that of uh, being kind of madness i call it or something and then i ended up being depressed so i had quite quite a time well let's move on and read lost love this is one of the unrequited love poems it's a sonnet. Lost love, your splendor lives on in my mind tonight. The soft glow of your face as you climb the stairs. The harsh lines leap forth in the dim moonlight, or ungraceful moves, just the curls in your hair. We laughed and we danced and you held my hand tight, with a bond that I thought should never end. Soon the music ended and something so right was left hanging in thin air, a prayer to send. So how was I to know you were attached? With husband and child, they both hold you dear. All I knew is that we were perfectly matched. My heart leapt, though they say I can't draw you near. I didn't know what to say or how far I get, but your face drew first blood from the moment we met. So you probably, every time you read that, have a lot of feelings. Yeah, well, it was um, something that happened, and uh, it didn't work out. Obviously, they were married, but... But you had a lot of feelings for her, and she had a lot of feelings for you. Uh, that's something I thought, but it was, I never really got a chance to find out. Okay. And she had a little child, so we deferred, and I didn't do anything. So was a, a, a long, you know, where were, what, when this happened, about where were you in, in this whole cycle you were in? Well, how, many, how far into right, it? it? It was the fall of 92. They both happened. I got sick and uh, had feelings for this particular person. It was kind of a crazy year. I'm sure. Sunset sky. Sunset sky. My love for you lingers like the sunset sky. You think it would have played itself out, there being miles and years between us. 
It still invites me with a hunger for something I gave up long ago, after our last goodbye, which at the time I thought might be a beginning. And so the women come and go, and I look, but I don't touch. For the hunger always strikes again. But when it comes to my heart, all roads lead to you. And who was that about? Uh, that was me just getting out my feelings after she disappeared and uh, just wanted to get it out. How important is that when a person is that depressed? To, uh, to re- I'm sorry? To release that, all that inside a person, you know, and you did well, it through writing. I think it writing. helps to get it out and get it down and know what you're feeling. And once you can put that perspective, you can kind of move on. So you, it didn't take you long to move on from that feeling? Uh, well, you know, I, I have moved on, but it took a while. Look, sometimes it hits you pretty hard. Here's another one. Hospital. Hospital. The brightest part of the day was getting my dinner tray of hospital food, which was as bland as the desert. But like Pavlov's dog, I learned to salivate anyways at the sound of the dinner bell, which rescued me from pacing the halls like a hamster on its wheels with the red exit sign blazing like some exotic neon light, or sitting in the smoking room, my head full of voices, like a noisy boardroom, being cut off from the others, and regularly the nurses brought me my medicine, which I was blissfully unaware, held the key to my subsequent parole. How long were you in the hospital? Uh, A few of them, ranging from a week to three weeks. Did it seem a very long, long time? Actually, when you're sick, you don't really realize it. When you start to get bored, they kick you out. So that's when they know you're better. Yeah, when you realize it's a real boring, uh, drudgery place to be. I was a little superheated, so I uh, took me a while to realize that. When you were pacing the halls, what were you feeling and thinking? Oh, I just had a head full of stuff. All sorts of thoughts. Yeah, you said you had a head full of voices in that. What, 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 what was going on? What were, what were the, who were the voices? Uh, I don't know. It's just a symptom you can get with mental illness, and uh, I'd like to know who they were. So, not necessarily people in your world. It was just voices of all sorts of things. People talking. So. Hmm. Paul, what would you like the readers to get from your book? Mental illness is a very serious affair sometimes. It's not just a bad day. And uh, some empathy for what we go through when we're having these episodes. And um, also that you can recover and get better, uh, even though you've had a period of uh, serious problems in your life. What do you think readers will feel who are going through depression as they read your poetry? Uh, The solace, like group therapy, that someone else has been there too. So they're not alone. They're not alone. I, you know, it, I try to get it done as honestly I can, and I've heard a lot of people who have these sorts of problems can relate to it. And that's probably so important to know when you're going through these dark moments in, in your life that you're not alone. You're not the only one. It's happened before, and you can get better. Paul, let's read one more. Let's see. Please read the one titled Hopeless. Okay, Hopeless. I'm stranded on a desert island, and as the days, months, Years grind on, my hope of rescue vanishes, dwindling until it is faint and distant as the North Star, while the demons in my head betray me once again. And like a man chasing a mirage through the desert, my thirst is unsatisfied and my drive is frustrated. Desperation becomes my only companion, and just when I think I can't go on any further, I'm forced to endure even more. So I pray to the heavens, but fear no one is listening, and I will waste away, vanishing without a trace. Very hard and almost impossible to grab a hold of hope when you're in that kind of condition? That was the point of that one. I just left the hope out. Right. That's part of depression. That's part of the reason people commit suicide, that you just have no hope at all. And I tried to uh, get that down. Now, you also, in a couple of these poems that you've read to us, you talked about prayer. Yes. So how important was that for you? Uh, My faith that... uh, there's some greater power when they ring the bells. Maybe they knew what they were doing more than people think was very important to me. That would be the other thing I would recommend. Listen to the people around you and believe in something. Believe in something. If you can't believe in yourself, believe in some some higher power. Some higher power or something. 
and listen to people around you, especially when they're all saying the same thing. Absolutely. Well, Paul, tell us how to get your book. It's available on Amazon and from Trafford Publishing, and I have a website where I have links where you can buy it. And what's the URL for your website? Kloshinsky.com. K-L-O-S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y.com. We really appreciate you being on Author Talk. Oh, well, thanks for uh, having me on. It was a pleasure. That was Paul Kloshinsky. He is the author-poet of his book, A Time to Cry, a poetic memoir of madness, depression, and unrequited love. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives?, in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Lost Stories 2. And the author is Chris Carter, and Chris joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Well, these are real-life situations that you have experienced or dreamed about or thought about, and you've kind of... Put them into these short stories in your book. You think people can relate to them. In fact, you think they're darn right funny. All right. This is a lot of uh, stuff that, you know, everybody normally thinks about, uh, you know, when you talk about the, the elections and, uh, like, Social Security. Uh, when you have young, young adults, they they pay uh, all this money for uh, student loans and, and uh paying all the Social Security, and once they get old, Social Security is gone. So that's one one of the questions that, that's there that, that I, I think about. Um, another one that we do talk about, we do talk about as far as dating, as far as, you know, men and what women look for when they come in uh, guys' houses and stuff like that, and, and we add comedy to that. But we also talk about marriages. We, we talk about... Uh, you know, single-parent home. So, you know, it's a lot of comedy in there in those stories that we talked about. It may not be funny when it's happening to people, but sometimes when you look back at it, it's pretty funny. Right. Especially, you know, like child support when you're paying child support for 18 years and you find out that uh, the child's not yours. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, that would be be a tough thing to find out. But, hey, why not laugh about it, right? Uh, 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of, lot of situations that actually happen. So. Well, Chris, I, I, why, why did you write the book? Why did you, you know, this is a, obviously anytime someone publishes a book, that's a big effort. Why did you do this? Well, I'm, I'm always, you know, trying to send humor to, uh, to the audience. Uh, I know that the movie is the ultimate goal that I want to do. But um, as far as comedy, it's always good to make put a smile on somebody's face when they come home from work or hard days, you know, at the job or whatever. A wife getting on their nerves. Uh, they always need a laugh. So <laughs> That's for sure. We always need to laugh. It's, uh, yeah. it's the best part of dealing with life, right? Humor. Right. Well, let's talk about a few of them, uh, these short stories. You call them the lost stories, too. Let's talk about a few of them in detail. Now, uh, one's called, in fact, it's the first chapter called Just My Thoughts. Now, What's that about? But just my thoughts is pretty much just the introduction. And as soon as the, the, the reader opens up the book, it just it shares a lot of thoughts, you know, about stuff that we go through on an everyday basis. Um, specifically, if you're talking about uh, the Catholic churches, it was just a thought. Man, I have a lot of Catholic friends, but, you know, we wonder why, you know, that the priests don't have a wife. And, and that was one thought that I had. I, you know, we all men. We, we, we probably, you know, we all have urges. Why they don't never have, you know, can't get a wife. And then we wonder why that they still messing with the boys. Stuff like that. So that's the thought that a lot of people think of that just keep quiet. But it's just, it's about another thing, uh, that we put out there, we, uh, what do women look for as far as uh, when they're looking for uh, a mate? You know, when they come to the house, the first thing they come and see is the bathroom. They, they go in there and they... they <laughs> yeah, check it out. <laughs> see how clean it is, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> see how clean it is, you know. They act like they got to, you know, wash their hands or... or <laughs> But they really going to check out the place. And uh, then they, they go in the kitchen and open it up and see if you got any food in there. If you got just a hot dog in there, <laughs> so, okay, you know, he, he can't cook. <laughs> you know, so. And then, they, you know, they go to the to the bedroom and, you know, okay. I mean, they they checking the place out, but they, you know, they very quiet about it. So that's just something that I always talk about, you know, and. You know, I, I always stress, you know, again, I, you know, stress by how the government operates. You know, we got the Social Security, young adult, middle adult, we're still paying all this money for Social Security, and then every when we turn 65, it's gone, you know. So that's a lot of thoughts that, that's out there, you know, Sally Mae bills. You know, we be paying, we we getting all these high hopes, go to school, Pay these high, high notes for us, folks, Sally May, and then you can't get it in, um, in, any experience because no jobs will allow you to come in there because they say you don't have experience. But how am I going to get the experience if you won't let, allow me to get a chance? So there's a lot of thoughts that a lot of young people experience through the day, and it's just a lot of comedy that goes through that. You know, so I also touched on uh, Jesse Jackson. Uh, he said uh, he was fun to. He would cut Obama's nuts off off there. <laughs> yeah, he did say that, didn't he? He got, made the news. Yeah, he made the news. And then I, got, I wonder why Obama don't stand next to him. So, <laughs> so that, that, there's a lot of thoughts in there that I put. But, you know, I, normal people think of those things, but, you know, maybe they don't say nothing. So you've put it down in writing, and, and probably a lot of people would agree with what you're saying. All right. <laughs> well, let's move on to the next uh, group. In fact, you got three titled Virginity, and then Virginity. you got three of them. They're Virginity, right. and then Virginity Part 2, and Virginity Part 3. So what's that all yeah. about? Virginity is, this story is about this guy. Um, you know, a lot of people wait on marriage, wait for their wives. And it's one particular guy, he's waiting for his wife, and he's not going to have sex with until he's married. And uh, basically what this 
uh, stories about is he 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 found the love and he waited all the way till you ready to get married and come to find out the guy. I mean, the, the the woman that he thought it was a woman was actually a guy, and so okay. it kind of ruined his honeymoon. Okay. <laughs> so you know. It, He's still a virgin. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm sure he is. <laughs> yeah. He, it, so, yeah, oh, that's a good one now. <laughs> you know, but yeah, three parts to that story. Three parts. I'm, I won't ask why. We've got to check them out before you uh, <laughs> invest in all that. Well, you got one called Mar uh, no, Mixed Couples. Mixed Couples. Yeah, mixed couples is basically uh, it's a a black guy and a white woman, and they're actually in love, but the two families don't agree. And I guess you know a lot of people can relate to that. You know, the family some they want their lady to be in their own race. But this particular uh, story, the the black guy worked as a as a assistant manager at Walmart, and the white lady was a lawyer. His family, he, his family, the guy's family didn't approve, and so he was pressured, and and he actually left the the, the white lady, so he can have somebody in his own race that can struggle. And uh, ended up, he got somebody in his own race, and she was training them for every penny he made. You know, getting all kind of taking, having them for the hair done, nails done, and uh, pretty much. After she drained him, um, come to find out, she had another man on the side anyway. Whoa. <laughs> so he tried to get back to, with the white girl, and she had somebody else. And so they had one more affair before it was all over, and then so the white girl went to somebody in her own race, and when she decided to have a, a baby, I guess the baby actually wasn't white. So that's <laughs> that was a good story. And then there's Margie's kids. Yes, a lot of people don't want to take anybody. They have five kids. That's a lot of responsibility. This this lady here in this story had a lot of kids. She had um a lot of bad kids. They were very bad. Young, they were smoking weed and uh you know uh one one little girl had boys over there and. A little four-year-old had uh, Playboy magazines, and so it was a very interesting story. And that one guy wanted to babysit with uh, the girl that he was dating in this particular story, and uh, just to see how it was like. He got an eye opener. So that that's pretty much what this story was about. How you know how you can deal with somebody else's kids. How about Guitar Man? The Tar Man was pretty much about a story about uh there was a they were working there was a group of guys who were working in the car shop and this guy's wife, which is Tim, his wife was um had a guitar man to come over there to teach a lesson. And he had, and he went he had to make sure that he called her before he comes home and he made sure that and every time that he was calling her he breathing hard on the phone saying, okay, thank you for letting me know that you're coming in, you know, right? And uh, the good talk man to call him and say, make sure you bring us a pack of beer and all that. So people was trying to let him know that there's something fishy with that. Why is he, you know, always over there and he's giving a good talk lesson for free and you don't notice nothing? Pretty much after, after a while, they tried to convince him to go over there while he's uh, supposed to be working. And he found out uh, what was really going on? That's a picture story. Well, here's some of the other titles. You've got the barber shop and Bentley shopping and back to the shop. Back back to the shop has seven different lost stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, the the whole theme of the story is you know Malik G is one of the characters and the Slick Rick is the gangster and he's pretty much trying to go after Smiley G. And uh so they's pretty much in the barber shop and everybody you know, our old guys and they're cutting hair and they telling stories. 
And so that's what's going on. They're telling stories as the book goes go along. But um, the Bentley shopping is uh, Slick Rick is trying to bribe uh, Smiley G's girlfriend with a Bentley. Say, look, I'll give you a Bentley if you let me kill Smiley G. And so that was the whole thing. So they supposed to set him up as far as an Italian, Italian dinner. So we'll see what happens at the end. Will, will Slick Rick get his way or... <laughs> oh well, Smiley G get get out of. It. Well, then you have that lion preacher, and you got the setup, and then you got oh, you got the final dinner, and but you, then you have bonus stories. Are you my daddy? Yeah, we definitely got these are the short skits that's in there. Uh huh. Short yeah, skits. Yeah, they very short skits, uh, but they very funny. Things you don't say <laughs> on an interview. Yes, uh, I'm sure there's things you better not say in an interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, guy, he comes in and he pretty much was a little too honest. <laughs> yeah. <in> that interview. <laughs> that it, that baby ain't mine. Yeah, it has a Jerry Springer uh, feel to that story. <laughs> <laughs> then a bad date. That's uh, another one of the bonus stories. Bad date. I guess everybody's had one of those bad dates, haven't they? Yeah. The, that particular story, uh, Smiley G was getting ready to get engaged to this girl walking in Central Park of New York, and uh, one of the crackheads was calling him said, yeah, I remember you. Remember that time when uh, we hooked up? And then the one with the, the fiance, like, wait a minute, y'all know each other? Like, yeah, and it's pretty much, in, uh, I guess the fiance got pretty much uh, pissed off, and they broke that off. So, but the crackhead, yeah, that time to make up for so that was a bad thing well chris tell us how to get your book uh, you can go to uh authorhouse.com and uh and purchase the book online we also have other retailers with uh, amazon and barnes and noble online you can order the book there as well That's right well chris we want to thank you for being on author talk okay that was chris carter he is the author of his book the lost stories 2 